We're coming up on Season 10 of Robot Chicken, and we're talking to the people who know it best, the people who make it. Tom Root has been at Robot Chicken since the beginning. He's one of the head writers of the show, and he's sitting right here to tell us all about it. I was um, I was trying to remember, uh, because we're, we're uh, about to launch this 10th season, we're, get, we're doing a lot of retrospectives, and I was trying to explain to somebody, it felt like, you know, in the comic book world, there's the golden age, the silver age, the modern age. It felt like, to me, we were part of this silver age, like the golden age um, in comics was Superman, Batman. Um, in Adult Swim terms, that would be Space Ghost Coast to Coast, Sea Lab, Brack Show, Home Movies, all the original stuff um, that really set the tone for the network. And then I felt like we were right at the beginning of the Silver Age. Probably the first one would have been, uh, in, in my mind, Venture Brothers. And then we were kind of right on the, I think Venture Brothers had a season out and then we we showed up. Um, and, uh, and so we were kind of like the second wave of Adult Swim. But now it's been so long, everyone thinks we were there from the start, and which wasn't true at all. Were you on the show from the start? Yeah, I was, um, I was the only one who wasn't living in New York. Um, and we all worked in the magazine uh, business. And I was a freelance writer, so I was living in Florida thinking... Um, you know, I'll cheat the system. There's no state income tax in Florida. Uh, I'll be rich. Um, and I was moving myself from Florida. And so I joined the convoy in Vegas and, and from Vegas to California, I was part of this, um, this move West that everyone was on. It feels, uh, very Romantic's probably not the right word, but this big trip to come out west to start this new show. Yeah, it. Um, I think we probably didn't appreciate it at the time, um, but you know we were still young enough to turn our lives into anything we wanted, and here's this opportunity, and we were all in a position where we could uh, pick up stakes and move west and try this thing out and it was really exciting and i think in the moment you think well i'll try it for a couple years and if it doesn't work out i'll go on and do other stuff but were you aware of the other adult swim shows did you know the network it was like you said young uh yeah i was a fan uh i would um i watched space ghost i thought it was hilarious it felt really cutting edge and um, new and exciting. Um, so I was like all in. Um, like even if Robot Chicken had never happened, I would be a I would be an Adult Swim viewer. Do you remember your your first day when you guys all got together and sat down? When when did you turn it on? Do you remember the day or the moment? It was such a gradual unrolling that I have no memory of any firsts. Um, I have impressions of um, like how our web series, uh, you know, sitting around a conference table with Seth on a um, you know, 
speakerphone coming up with ideas for uh, what would eventually become Robot Chicken. Um, I have an impression of uh, sitting around a dining or a coffee table eating Chinese food that was titled Robot Chicken, which would eventually become the title of our show and um, stuff like that. But I don't uh, there was never there's not a moment for me where it went from uh, there is no show to now we have a show. Um, maybe the other guys had like really crystal clear recollections of, oh, we all remember this moment <laughs> that it all changed. What did you tell people your job was when you when you started? I had this progression of lies, <laughs> like, well, not lies, like half-truths. I would say, oh, I, I work in L.A., what do you do? Oh, I'm a... I'm a writer. What do you do? What do you write? I work in, you know, I work in, in TV. Oh, what kind of TV? I work in animation. Oh, anything I've seen? Oh, it's like a late night, late night animation. Putting up a series of roadblocks. <laughs> yes. So they could stop asking. <laughs> yes, you. just please give up. Stop it. I don't want to explain. Why is that? Uh, you might think it was a sense of shame, like... I'm working on this late night cable show you've never heard of. In fact, the opposite was true. I was afraid they'd find out that I was working at the coolest place ever for the coolest network and that they would never stop bothering me about it. And sometimes um, that actually is the case where as soon as I say the name of the show, I get way too much attention and I don't like it. Makes you uncomfortable? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Why? Um, I think there's an expectation that if you, uh, if you work on something really entertaining and especially if you're one of the writers that you yourself are going to be entertaining and I am not an an entertaining person. And, um, I think, uh, the worst is when my, uh, I'm somewhere with my parents and my and we encounter somebody the right age to watch Adult Swim programming, and one of my parents will say, "Yeah, have you heard of Robot Chicken?" Oh no! <laughs> and does your hair stand up on your neck? Oh God, the cringe factor! Like I just want to crawl under a rock. Do you ask uh, them not to do that? <laughs> yeah, it doesn't matter though. They're, They're very, just proud, very of proud. They're proud of you. Yeah. So yeah. So I'm, it's not like I'm trying not to be gracious about it. I don't know what my hang-up is about, like, yeah, I do have a fun job, and I'd love to tell you all about it. Uh (laughs) Here you are. (laughs) Uh, I'm glad you're a fan. Let's talk about the show. What is your job here now? I am executive producer, co-head writer, um, and uh, voice actor, at on, in a larger sense, uh, here at the studio, I am uh, a co-creator of a show we're doing for uh, Sony and Hulu uh, called Crossing Swords. That's coming out uh, June of 2020. What's that about? <clears throat> we wanted to do like a sword and sorcery, uh, like a really serious. Um, kind of Game of Thrones type fantasy with violence and nudity, but do it with like um, peg people, like children's 
um, like toddlers' uh, toys with no arms or legs, kind of like um, Fisher Price looking, like old, really old kind of peg people. Um, and uh, so they're very cute. And when uh, the blood starts spilling, it's really disturbing. Um, so we're telling the story of a young, idealistic uh, uh, teenager who wants to grow up and be a knight and make a big difference in the kingdom. And then he goes to work for the king and queen, and they are corrupt to the bone. And he has to sort of struggle to keep true to himself while he's surrounded by all of these uh, really uh, creepy, nasty, um, self-absorbed uh, monsters. It's been a nice change of pace telling one big story. Um, as you'd imagine, we uh, we get like, Robot Chicken is a lot of fun because um, as writers, we're all every single writer on Earth is very lazy <laughs> and we love telling 30 second stories you get the itch to tell longer narratives um yeah we get the itch and then and you do it with, within a week we're like oh my god when can i go back to robot chicken like when can i tell a story that's 15 seconds and and maybe we don't write an ending we just flip away to something else it's got to be a different side of the brain no from a writing perspective, I'm in awe of those hour-long shows where you can't wait to watch the next one because you're so intrigued by the story. Um, like somebody had to blueprint that out and make the decisions about how to hook you. What are some of these shows that, you, that you're that you referencing? The stuff I've really been into recently is uh, Euphoria on HBO. Um, I sort of couldn't wait, um, and that was that's one of those rare shows that still only comes out once a week. And I was like, man, I cannot wait to see what happens next. How's this going to get resolved? And um, you know, are you supportive of the uh, the s- releasing shows weekly versus binging? It seems a different a beast, and maybe it was a. A method of delivery that is coming back into favor. I think, I think I'm, I fall kind of somewhere in the middle where uh, I th- I feel like we should never go back to network TV thinking they can get away with twenty two episode seasons coming out weekly because that is just insulting. What do you mean? Um, like expecting you to tune in for half a year uh, to get the whole story um, seems like a big imposition now, and it also it it feels like the uh, twenty two to twenty six. Does anyone do twenty six anymore? Like twenty to twenty two episodes feels like it's been exposed as. Uh, like, oh, they've been padding it out all along. Uh, like, nobody needs tw- 22 episodes. I can't remember the last 22-episode season where everyone was like, man, they made the most of all 22 episodes. Have you experimented with any sort of longer-form robot chicken content? Uh, we've tested the waters. We had our bitch pudding special, 
which was 22 minutes of one story. And um, I really like how it turned out. Um, we never did it again, so maybe that's a sign that we shouldn't ever do it again. again. But um, How did that come about? We, uh, as a, a show, we don't, because we're, we're often using characters we don't own, it's very rare for us to come up with one of our own characters that sticks out, which is why you see the nerd and the humping robot and the scientist and the chicken over and over. It's there. because they're all, we only have so many recognizable original characters. And so Bitch Pudding. Bitch Pudding uh, really popped, and the fans responded to her, and um, like she made us laugh, and we wanted to keep bringing her back, which I guess is the first test. And we love working with Katie Sackhoff and, and having her do that voice. And um, and she... Uh, I, I write the majority of the bitch pudding material and I find her very fun to write because she's so like um, psychotically proactive. Like you just drop her into the middle of any scene and stuff starts happening because she can't sit still and she's so aggressive. So we, we were at Comic-Con in San Diego um, this year, and uh, we were doing retrospective stuff, and so we were at the Adult Swim uh, on the green at night, and um, so we thought, because we had Katie Sackhoff on the panel, we'll show a clip of the Bitch Pudding special, and then we'll talk about it with Katie. That'll be fun. And then we accidentally, and I still don't know why, showed the entire 22-minute Bitch Pudding special to this captive audience. And uh, I think it was entirely our fault for not being clear, but it, we just kept rolling. And so as I was watching this, as I was forced to watch this, and, and as the responsible party was forced to watch this in front of hundreds of people, <laughs> I really thought, is, is this a good idea? She's so terrible like it ends with her mowing down uh uh raspberry parfait and the denizens of uh I forget the name of the village just the nicest dessert themed characters mowing them down with a gatling gun in revenge because they got so fed up with her they sent her away they banished her from the village and then she comes back and murders them all proving their point wow. essentially yeah i thought whose side are we on <laughs> and who does she deserve a special and i just i felt like we all had a lot to think about after watching that special again it, it rolled accidentally it uh, i know we brought the whole special and that was a choice. And then I thought, maybe we're only going to watch the first, uh, until the first commercial break. And then I, But I was talking to the, like, as, when it kept rolling, I went over to the, the board op and I was like, how much more of this? And he was like, we're watching the whole thing. <laughs> and I never knew. It was knew. his decision. <laughs> I never knew. I went over to Matt Senreich. I said, are we watching this whole thing? He's like, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. How was uh, how was it received? 
I think uh, I think our audiences are always very gracious and just happy to be there and like share this stuff with us. Uh, so they weren't going to like throw trash or anything, uh-huh. but <laughs> uh, and they, I mean, they they enjoyed it and laughed and stuff. But I felt bad that um, we had Katie there ready to answer questions, and instead we were making people watch this thing that they could find online. Oh, um, so um, another I mean, awkward Comic Con experience. Yeah. Which is, you know, our lives are built on them. What is your Comic-Con experience like? Well, because, um, like, luckily I don't have, um, you know, I don't have Seth's issues with visibility. Um, And I can be anonymous 99% of the time. And the only time anyone recognizes me is if I'm sitting next to Robot Chicken people under a banner that reads Robot Chicken. <laughs> Wait a so. second. Are you the guy from Robot Chicken? Yeah. Did you see the sign? Um, so I can enjoy it as a fan still, and so I think it's great. And um, my encounters are nothing more than kind of sitting up on a stage and, um, and uh, getting to absorb uh, the affection of people who care enough about the show to wait in line to sit in an audience for it. Like it's a, you know, nobody's going to wait in a line to tell us how much they hate it. You would hope. Um, (laughs) I'm sure it's happened. Um, So it's like, I go down, everyone loves the show. I get to go shopping on the show floor. And then, I get to come back and, and feel great. What do you shop for? Um, this, I always say uh, my goal is to leave with nothing because my office just gets, uh, over the years, is now filled with stuff I've bought and never opened from Comic-Con. Explain that. I see that all the time, people with toys in the in the, in the pack, unopened toys. Well, explain that to somebody who knows nothing about that. When you're... At Comic-Con, you think, I better buy this because I'll regret it for the rest of my life if I don't. Then you get it back home, and you realize you're a grown man. And if I open this, I'm not going to play with it because I'm a grown man. I'm going to set it up on my desk for a day or two, and then it's going to get in the way, and I'm going to have to move it somewhere, and it's going to go up on a shelf until I need to move it because I'm running out of space, and then it's going to go in a box, and I'm going to wish it I didn't own it. <laughs> Do you have a lot of stuff in storage? I Luckily, I've avoided the storage unit, uh, but that's where it's headed. Uh, I've either got to get a storage unit or I've got to like throw stuff out. Is, is there something that you're trying to find still? That you haven't been able to find, um, and and do you leverage your relationship with the show to I, detect these things to track them down? I think I'm. I, there's no holy grail out there for me anymore, and I th- I think eBay is so good that like I don't even need to pull any favors in. I feel almost guilty because when I was ten, if I had gone to that ten year old and said. You know, when you're in your 40s, you'll be able to get anything you want, and you'll want nothing. 
<laughs> it would have been so crushing. Oh, what a riddle. Yeah. It's like a Twilight Zone episode. What comics are you uh, passionate about? When I was a child, uh, I loved uh, uh, Teen Titans, uh, specifically New Teen Titans, because uh, I was collecting at the time. New, New Teen Titans number one came out. Um, I thought that was the greatest, and it, it was. I didn't realize it, but it's still like up there with. Um, it's considered one of the one of the great runs. The uh, George Perez, Marv Wolfman, um, comic book runs. Um, and so that uh, that's my childhood. And then when I was in college, I got back into comics because the X-Men cartoon was so good. Uh, I started reading X-Men and I got real obsessive about deciding to read all the X-Men comics and like going back um, and reading X-Men number one all the way up until whatever the present issue was at that point. Um, and uh, so Titans and X-Men were kind of my one one and two. And then somewhere along the line, I got into anime and um, and reading manga, too. Um, and you incorporate some of this stuff, surely, into Robot Chicken. Yeah. When we uh, – season one, one of the first things I wanted to do was get Voltron breakdancing – and get into a dance battle with one of those row beasts. And Seth and I uh, had way too much fun recording a rap song that they could dance to and um, finding clips uh, of the dance moves we wanted to see Voltron perform. And um, it was... Uh, and, and then getting to see Voltron perform the dance moves was magical <laughs> like like it just, there wasn't a way to see that until we made it happen no, no there wasn't <laughs> like um can you think of some of the more hyper specific you know the the nichest i don't know what the word is reference that you've squeezed into the show uh season one or season one or season two, we kept uh, we kept having these nonsensical channel flips uh, that were just references to the this movie Midnight Madness, uh, which was a Disney film with Michael J. Fox before he was famous. And one, so, <laughs> if you're a viewer at home who had never seen Midnight Madness. You're watching Robot Chicken, and it's people in a room, and a chair turns around mysteriously, and there's a bearded man in it, and everyone goes, Leon, and then th that's the end of it. You get no enjoyment out of it. You don't know what's going on. I don't know why anyone allowed us to do it. It was uh, it had a zero value. <laughs> And I guess if you had seen Midnight Madness, you would have enjoyed it if you even remembered that scene. But we had happened to watch Midnight Madness, I think, sometime when we had moved out here. And we were just like, oh, it's such a good movie. We should put that Leon scene in Robot Chicken and it'd be really funny. And 
it wasn't for anyone. <laughs> like complete waste of time. But you think some of those hyper specific references are the ones that hit when they hit hit the hardest. Uh, yeah, and I think there is something to be said for not leading your audience by the hand and letting them figure it out uh, if they even care. Like uh, we all grew up with Looney Tunes cartoons full of references from the 30s and 40s that we could not understand. We did not know who Jack Benny was, you know, and his violin. <laughs> we did right. not know uh, why Humphrey Bogart uh, needed money as an American down on his luck, uh, or what that was a reference to, uh, like. Uh, and it didn't matter because we understood that something was going on and it wasn't for us, but we were on board. Surely also it, it works in reverse where kids or whoever see something on Robot Chicken that they don't understand and then they encounter it on their own. Yeah. The source. Yeah. And for, they're blown away in a reverse way. For me, like uh, Mystery Science Theater was where I learned an awful lot of 70s <laughs> television references. Uh, it's, I feel like I got a cult, uh, an education in cultural literacy from jokes I didn't understand. So there's an education to be had in pop culture entertainment. Yes, and it starts with Robot Chicken. Yeah. Coming up on season 10, you've brought new writers in, new references, or new sources. How does that work for you? Are, are the younger writers turning you on to things? Uh, I think probably the younger writers make me hate and fear new things even more. <laughs> I will never play Fortnite. <laughs> I don't care to ever know how it works. But I think it probably it's like um, some stuff I'm never going to try, but some stuff is uh, like I only learn about through our new writers, and that's good. That's probably the real answer. What's is, something that that they've enlightened you about? Uh, as an example, um, uh, the the concept of ghosting as a method of. Uh, uh, you know, never speaking to somebody again. Instead of having a long, drawn-out conversation, I just like you as a friend. I don't. I don't think we should see each other anymore. You just never text them back, and then you've been ghosted. And um, so, one of our younger writers wrote a sketch, like uh, uh, texting and uh, God, "Are you there, God? It's me, Margaret." Uh, and then. And Margaret gets the three dots, like God is maybe typing something, and then the three dots disappear, and Margaret's like, did God just ghost me? <laughs> I really like that channel flip. Um, uh, I think Deirdre Devlin wrote that. Um, and so, like, and so I knew what ghosting was, and then I put it in Crossing Swords, and one of the Crossing Swords executives was like, this term ghosting, what is this about? And I was like, well, if you're young and hip like me, Wake you up, would understand. Man. Yeah. So the show is influenced by American pop culture, but American culture. 
Yeah, very much. I think we all get to work and open our laptops and we want to see what's trending on Twitter and what's in the news and what our president's just done. And we're always thinking about what's happening in the world right now. And we are working on a show where if we write a sketch about what's happening right now, it won't see air for 14 to 18 months. So that's off the table. But we do uh, channel it into a comment of some kind um, that kind of summarizes what we're thinking or feeling about current events. 18 months is a long time. And I'd imagine sometimes you make something, you animate something, and then something has changed in either pop culture or society that makes it harder to run or it needs to be changed. Does that has that happened? Um, I wish I could remember the character and I, I, or actor, and I can't. But um, we definitely uh, this is this would be so much better if I could remember the specific. But we had like a um, a sketch where it aired Sunday, and on Friday, like the actor died, and. The sketch was like a mockery. It came off like a mockery of this person who had just died. And it made us look terrible. And I can't remember. uh, It was completely unintentional. But, like, we had written the thing 18 months prior. We had no idea. And And that very weekend. Yeah. It was like stuff like that will happen. And we just have no control over it. I mean, if it was like a – if it was like – if it was like going to make national news that we had done it, I'm sure Lazo would have yanked the sketch. But it was like just on the border of like, you know, clearly we had no yeah. way of knowing. The wildly callous that you would animate that in the next <laughs> yeah, day yes. to get it on the air, <laughs> rush it to air. I wish I could remember that person. Uh, so what's coming up in season 10? What are some things that you're looking forward to? Uh, well, we get we get Sam Elliott back. Uh, in the 200th episode, that's very exciting for us. We we love Sam. Um, uh, what is our like showstopper of season ten? Um, I think the the show, and I don't know exactly how Tom Shepard is pulling it off. Our director Tom Shepard, but uh, the show looks great. Like better than it's ever looked, and s- jokes that don't deserve to look as good as they look look fantastic. I'm thinking of our opening, um, where our uh, nerd, if you'll remember, died at the end of uh, season nine, and so we have to think of a way to bring that nerd back to life. Um, and so we end up, um, doing so in a very horrific manner and um and it's just beautifully shot and it's um uh and i don't know like i know we're not giving him any more money to make this happen so (laughs) finally he's spending it he was just keeping it (laughs) maybe he's been banking it and now it's like season 10 he's finally spending it um but the yeah, the show looks great. Uh, I feel like uh, the the guest stars we have are so uh, crazy that they don't even shock me anymore. It's it must like, it must be fun, or maybe you've gotten used to it by now to have these 
famous people roll through. Yeah, like uh, uh, I was in the Crossing Swords room, and I think Matt came by with Tom, and he was like, "Oh yeah, we just recorded Susan Sarandon. She uh, she was she played that woman in your in, in the boardroom in your Popeye sketch, and then they, they walked off. <laughs> like, wow, <laughs> the weird dream. <laughs> like, uh, why did she do that? Why did she ever agree to that? Well, why do they do it? Do you think? I think, um, I think, uh, like we've always said, um, like actors, especially uh, actors who are known for like one big thing, love the chance to play um, different uh, against type for one thing, especially when their faces are hidden. The way we arrange the contracts is uh, we we get them for three. Uh, distinct voices, three characters. And uh, so they are challenged with, um, as famous people, uh, disguising their voice in three different ways. And I think that challenge is appealing to them. I think they like the fact that they're in and out of here in like 20 minutes. Uh, I think that they like the fact that they don't need hair and makeup. And I think like what they really want to do is perform and all the other stuff gets in the way. And so the idea that they can come in and uh, goof around and, and riff on character voices for half an hour is the best. Without all the fanfare that comes with making a movie. Yeah, and then they don't have to go out on a press tour. Right. Yeah. They pop in. So is that what it takes about – and is this the room they do it in? This is the room. Um, yeah, generally it's like it's like 20 minutes. It's like 10 minutes of – hellos and sign your paperwork and we're so happy to have you and yeah. like 20 minutes of uh, to get through three characters do you participate in it i uh sometimes i will uh, co-direct with shepherd or seth depending on who's available uh sometimes i will just sneak in the back and uh be a spectator have you had any any memorable ones that stick out um George Takei came in, um, and he's been—he's done the show more than once. But um, uh, you know, his voice is so great, and uh, we're always so happy to have him. And I can't remember what was going on in the news. I think it might—it might have been the uh, something was going on with immigration uh, because when is something not going on with immigration lately? And uh, George. Uh, when he was very young, was in a Japanese, an, a Japanese American internment camp in the early days of World War II, um, or you know, at, right after Pearl Harbor, and uh, he sat with us and um, started talking about what it was like to be in a, a, a Japanese internment camp. Um, as an American citizen here in the States and, uh, and he was old enough to have memories of it. And he was sharing those memories. And I think he talked for like half an hour and like nobody wanted to start recording because there was this piece of living history who was like secondarily also a member of the Star Trek cast, <laughs> you know, also a legend for that, but also like who, like, when are we ever going to get a chance to, talk to a man like this and um 
And like, and then you know, he finished telling uh, us about it, and and came in and did this hilarious job narrating like a Harold in the Purple Crayon sketch. <laughs> Some uh, range, yeah. What a day! Um, wow, that was great. So every once in a while, we'll get like r- really awesome moments like that. Has there been an appetite for a robot chicken movie? Um, we talk about it from time to time. Um, it is. Uh, I think we put ourselves in the shoes of the viewer, and we think, "Do I want to go spend fifteen bucks to sit in a theater watching this?" Uh, essentially six episodes of Robot Chicken back-to-back. <laughs> and The answer is? The answer is probably not, but I think if there was a really compelling way, like uh, we can tell long-form stuff. If there was a, a, a nerd story, a bitch-putting story that uh, felt like it deserved an hour and a half, and if we could find a way to preserve the flavor of the show – where it was uh, segmented, but in a way that made sense for the larger story, um, I think we could uh, we could do it, and it would look great. Like when we watch the show on on uh, big movie theater screens, it's really fun to watch. Uh, I think it'd be a great experience. Not ruling it out. No, not not ruling it out. I think it'd be I think it'd be a lot of fun, but uh, it's definitely one of those back burner things. Do you feel stress? What gives you stress in your day-to-day? I will tell you that Robot Chicken does not give me any stress. Um, There are a lot of built-in ways that uh, the show – that I personally cannot fail the show. (laughs) Like we've always got another writer who's got a funnier idea than I do. Um, you know, I'm not even the only head writer. We've got another, uh, Doug Goldstein's the other head writer. You know, uh, I feel like if, uh, I got run over by a bus tomorrow, the show would be fine. And, uh, so I don't, <laughs> I am useless to this show is how I like to think of it. So I feel no stress. 200 episodes coming soon. 200. I hope you get to three. That would be fantastic. Tom Root, thanks for coming on. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. Visit adultswim.com slash podcast for links to some of the things Tom and I were just talking about. As always, we'd love to hear from you. Shoot us an email, adultswimpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks to Dave Bonowitz and Christina Loringer for editing and producing these podcasts. Thanks also to Maggie Cannon for arranging everything. Thank you for listening.